You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Abraham and your co-host Ryan O. And so this is why we do what we do, and this is a, a topic that was requested specifically um, by uh, our our own yeah Shane Spiker. Yeah, thanks, man. You're famous, man. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> yeah, and I think at the time that this one will have been released, it's possible that the episode that Shane was actually the lead on um, with a special guest interview um, either will be coming out shortly after this, or will have already come out at the time yeah. this one does. Yeah. So congrats. Yeah. So uh, either way, um, that's. Uh, give that one a listen if you haven't or if it's you know if you can when it comes out uh so i think it's important to start with the fact that if you if you clicked on this or you're listening to it at all you probably already know that we're talking about ethics in some capacity right yes and so we want to say before we even begin that we're not going into like every ethical code or what morality necessarily entails or what specific examples of this we could go on and on and on about examples and non-examples. If you ever looked into this topic, you probably like tried to learn forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah. It, right. Right. This is dense. There's a lot of facets to it. It's complicated. I think we're going to make our position relatively clear in the extent to which we have one. And also want to be as descriptive as possible about what the different positions are. But the purpose of this episode for the most part is in, in this discussion that we're going to have is to start with asking the question of like, what, what are ethics and how do we understand them from a psychological point of view? Yeah. Not necessarily what are ethical codes and why they exist. And is there a definite right or wrong, but what, how do we understand how people approach the concept of ethics from a, from a psychology standpoint? Sounds great. Yeah. So starting with the question of what is ethics or what are ethics or how, you know, how do we define this thing? How does it conceptually exist? Um, this is described as being sort of meta ethics, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. What are all the different like facets and questions that go into the question of what is ethics, right? Yeah, so just it's it's a pretty basic question and I think a lot of people have the uh, either assumption or the opinion that maybe they think that ethics are they're just facts, they're just things like laws for example, which I'll I'll be getting into a little bit later. And maybe ethics is like this is just a code of right and wrong and that there is a right and wrong and that's a that's a thing too. Um other people like they're at where we're at in this which is just starting with asking the question what what is this topic? What is ethics? What does that even mean? Like, how do we define it? And, and what is it? Uh, what are the parameters of this, right? Yeah. So this, this meta ethics had really two branches. That is, there's either are moral facts of some sort, or there are no, no moral facts of some sort. Yeah. The position of it's either sort of a uh, almost black and white sort of view of like this, there's a right and wrong. And mm -hmm. then there's a, this, everything is a shade of gray that there is no right and wrong. Um, so, so that's the general way of splitting this up. Do you have a, do you already have a position on this? Like where do you, where do you fall with respect to that? I would say, I don't think that there are solid set facts that everybody follows that someone is governing. Okay. Right. Sure. Um, however, that doesn't mean that there, there are certain things that should be treated as such, you know, like right. this whole, like do no harm. Like, right. man, I wish that was a solid rule and fact that someone governed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that'd be really nice. But, um, so does that kind of make sense? Yeah, what yeah. Okay. I think, um, and I'll... How about, what about you? Well, yeah. So my position on this is, and we'll cover um, some of the 
places where other people have talked about what this is. But I, th- I think I'm in somewhat agreement in that conceptually speaking, ethics are there there aren't hard and fast rules about like what would be considered ethical and not ethical and whether you base it on the outcome or the process or the intention or, or the like the overall experience or thought that you had during yeah. the thing, you know, but I think it is useful to look at things and at least elaborate a spectrum of things that are almost always not okay and things that are almost always okay yeah and sort of framing it in that way um and understanding that like that is still like a cultural arbitrary decision to make Mm -hmm. but i think there's utility in doing that if that makes sense yeah okay so let's just start by asking the question of ethics like what what is this thing that we're talking about like what what is the definition can can i start with the definition that i found right yeah so i had the branch of philosophy that studies morality or right and wrong behavior Awesome. Seems to fit right in this podcast. Another definition I had is if you just look at sort of a dictionary is that you have the the moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. Okay. So the, and this one is sort of relying on a definition of moral being implied or being understood by the person yeah. uh, reading this. Um, but yeah, the, the decisions that are right and wrong, okay, that govern people's behavior. And now what's important about this is that there are some some ways of sort of breaking this down into understanding the different components, like what is morality? What do you mean by principles? And to what extent does it govern behavior? And when you say person, does that mean this is not applied to animals? That sort of thing, right? There's yeah. a lot of implications here. And um, in this really, there's this excellent book that I, I think is still in print, but it's a little bit old. It's from the 90s. That's called um, Ethical Issues and Developmental Disabilities. And they have a definition in the first chapter. They're just defining ethics. Yeah. And the definition they say of ethics is the study of values and choices of persons operating verbally as members of a group. And there's a lot of implications in there. Okay. So first of all, the ethics is not necessarily a thing. It's not a tangible object out in the universe that you can reach, um, but that it is a study or a way of orienting to people's behavior. And that their specific subject of that study is the values and choices that people make and specifically people, humans, not animals, and specifically the verbal choices that they make. Okay. Um, and that they do so inside of a a cultural or group setting that provides a lot of really useful framework because I think that there's a lot of non-examples. So for example, I'm a tiger. Yeah. And I'm running out on the, the plane and I tackle this gazelle. Yeah. So in this case, you just murdered another animal. Uh-huh. It would, we look at a tiger's behavior and say that that was ethical or unethical. Presumably they're doing so because they have to eat. So in that sense, it was a good thing. So was it ethical? But they also took a life of an innocent creature. So was it unethical? Yeah. It doesn't, we don't even apply that filter to this because this was just an animal doing what an animal does. Right. Yep. Um, And so what's important about that is that we have acknowledged now that there is a filter that can be applied Mm -hmm. and that that filter only exists because we created that filter. So it's a language based phenomenon. So I think that there's a lot of utility. And again, approaching the definition in this way where we we specify that ethics is a way of orienting to the things that people do verbally and that that's, that's situated inside of their culture. And. To that extent, now one looks at this, the values and choices of people operating and say, all right, could this apply to things other than ethics? Is this definition too broad? And I actually really try to think about it. And every example I came up with that would fit inside of this definition still seemed like it would qualify as ethics. So where ethics usually talks about right and wrong, this specifies um, values and choices. 
right? And yeah. so the what people do with respect to those values and choices, that what we're, we're going to call the, um, the ethical, I guess the study of ethics. Cool. All right. So let's go back a little bit and say like uh, the difference between morality, if there is moral realism um, or absolutism or relativism, let's dig into that a little bit. All right. So first one is moral absolutism. And so the idea here is that there are absolute set standards against which moral questions can be judged. Yeah. As legitimate and as well founded as like any scientific fact. Yep. Yep. It is set. And I will note here, we are pulling this from a crash course uh, video uh, for the specific talk on this part of it. So that is definitely linked and sourced. Um, it's a great, this. yeah, it's a great video. So if you're yeah. interested, check out that link. It's huge. only ten minutes long and really well done. Yeah, I'm a huge Hank Green fan. Um, if people haven't realized, so the next part, the next one would be moral relativism. And so the idea here is that more than one uh, moral position in a given topic can be correct. So if we want to give some examples here, this gets into those tricky situations where it's like if someone were to steal food from a store. Yeah, so uh, looting. Let's take that. Yeah, and they doing they, a, a crisis of some sort. Right, and hurricane. they steal food to feed their family. Yeah. On the one hand, like you could say, stealing food is always wrong no matter what. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you could say, okay, well, the store could afford to lose the food. Nobody really got hurt in the situation, and the family is able to be fed. Yeah. Right. So, you could look at the the situations and try and and examine what are the, what are the, what's at stake here? And yeah. uh, do we look at this and just say like one act of behavior, regardless of the context that should always be viewed in this way? Yep. Or uh, should it be considered in context and sort of look at it from another point of view? For example, maybe the person who did it. Yep. And I think another one is like killing someone. Is killing someone always wrong in every circumstance? So yeah, this moral absolutism position would be that there is either a right or wrong, either thou shall or shall not kill, right, right. in the situation. Whereas in the, the moral relativism, as you were saying. Well, I mean, if you just, the example I like to go to is something like euthanasia. Someone who is, has a chronic disease that they're in a lot of pain and they specifically request, like, please, like, end my pain. I know that I'm going to die. I don't have that much life left anymore. And I'm asking you to do this favor for me. Mm-hmm. In that case, if you, if you complete that person's wishes, again, you are killing someone. For a lot of people, that's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. Yep. Um, and that is just a difficult thing to do. Like, it's really hard to be in a position where someone's asking you to kill them. And most people do not want to kill other people. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's hard to be in that position. And looking at that morally, the, the moral absolutist position is it's wrong no matter what. Yep. Even though they're asking for it, even though they're in pain, it is moral to keep them in pain and allow them to live longer because killing is always wrong, right? And the relativist position is that, well, in this particular circumstance, things are different, and so maybe killing is the right thing to do. Yeah. So that's, but there are other examples you can think of as well. Like, what if you, if you, that whole thing of the trolley problem, right? If you have, you know, you could push someone onto a tracks to stop a train, or, uh, yeah, or it could let it hit like a group of people. Yeah. So either you, you kill one person or you kill, you don't do nothing and allow it to five people. Yeah. And people always react differently to this um, thing, but that relativist fact of, you're weighing those two options of what's the right thing to do in a circumstance where both things are the wrong thing to do. Yeah. So that's the first two under this moral realism category. Now, the third one, uh, if we picked up those scenarios, uh, it would be cultural relativism. The idea here is that each culture kind of has their own set rules, right? So I I feel like it's kind of a, a mix of the first two in a sense. 
Yeah, in a way, I think you're right that there is uh, looking at the fact that there are going to be morals that exist inside of a culture that look like they're at least relatively black and white, but mm -hmm. um, they're going to be significant and related to the culture in which they are yeah. part of. So across cultures, they might be very black and white and very different. Yeah. But the idea is that uh, these two different cultures can't necessarily judge each other's. Right. Yeah. They're right within their own set of assumptions and their own uh, agreement, I guess. Y yeah. And I think that so one example I, I like to think of inside of this is if you think about in some cultures, it is considered immoral to be homosexual. And in other cultures, it is considered that it is you actually have no claim to morality about someone's sexual preference, mm -hmm. right? And so those are very different ideas where being a homosexual or engaging in what might considered, be considered homosexual acts inside of one culture, like that's not just a legal problem. That is a moral problem mm -hmm. for that culture. And so from an outsider, can you look at their treatment of that behavior and, and judge their treatment as being moral or immoral if they don't treat someone the way that your culture would treat that same person. Yeah. Right. So again, really complicated mm -hmm. and it's difficult. It's, that's just, those are arguments that people make about whether or not there is such a thing as that sort of absolute or that relative morality. And if you do take the position that maybe it's a little bit relative, then you also are kind of saying that in a way things that other cultures do that might be completely unacceptable inside of your moral ethical uh, code that you might follow yeah. is ethical to them. And so you look at that and then say, well, you know, I can't judge that type of behavior. Yeah. Some people have raised the issue inside of this of like what is considered culturally sensitive versus a human rights issue. Yeah. Okay. And uh, another example of that is what's uh, known as um, FGM or uh, female gen genital mutilation, where in some cultures, there is, I'm not going to go into details about this, but there are procedures that are done to very young girls to alter their body in such a way that they experience pain as part of doing things that a woman in that culture might do. Mm -hmm. And the, the issue that's brought up is like, okay, well, that's part of their culture. This is considered a morally good thing to do to um, create this future for them and their physical being um, and how that they... Uh, experience the rest of their life and other cultures look at this and be like this is not a cultural issue this is a human rights issue yeah that people should not be subjected against their will to the types of practices that alter their physiology in such a way that they will be in pain by doing normal human things and again that's that relative view of how do we look at the and approach these things inside of the cultural lens and an ethical view how do we make that decision and who makes that decision and and do people have the right to do so the answer is tricky. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the kind of one of the things that if you start really digging into ethics is the answer is there's no answer and that we're all trying to figure out the best way to do this. And so, again, the purpose of this episode is not to give you 100 examples and non-examples, but to create a context of understanding what is the nature of the conversation that we're having about ethics and how do we even like approach that general concept of ethics. And then something else in here is sort of this. So all of that's been talking about, like there's this sort of moral in a way, sort of absolutism. And then there's this sort of moral anti-absolutism or anti-realism that says that there is no such thing as a black and white moral guide that yeah. you can apply. Like it's always just, it's, it's not objective. It is always subjective. There is no inherent right or wrong. And that, that actually brings me back to the point that we had about the fact that this is verbal. Because this is a language-based phenomenon, 
then there's some important variables about understanding this inside of understanding just language as a whole. And what you are doing when you judge anything at all or you create some kind of evaluation about the quality or relative goodness or badness or something, yeah. this actually goes back to the episode that we did when we were discussing truth, is that you are creating verbally a context by which you compare one event against a criterion. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so understanding that there's about four important variables about language that you need to understand to look at can we do that or what happens when we do that that comparison that evaluation and that is one if this is language based then it is always in situated inside of the available context that is afforded by that language which is to say if a language only specifies a certain like level or spectrum of right and wrongness then the extent to which you can compare something against the criteria is limited by those words. So if the worst thing you can possibly do is described by the way, the word worst, and the best thing you can possibly do is described by the word best, then in between all those, all the words that you have that fill the gap between worst and best is the scale against which you can apply some criteria or critique mm-hmm. of something as being ethical. If there's a language that allows for a much larger scale, something is worse than worst or better than best, then that is going to change the extent to which that criterion can be applied. Right. Which brings me to the second point, which is that if this is language based, then in fact, language is at its very nature arbitrary. Yep. There is nothing about language that is inherently a reflection of reality where you say something and that corresponds to part of the universe in a way where that language is not also part of that universe. And what I mean by that is that our language, and this is just going way, way back, is just communication and it's symbolic. And those symbols only exist because we have learned to assign meaning to those symbols. Yeah. And that's learned differently in different cultures. That's right. Why we have these different sounds and these different ways in which cultures kind of talk about things differently, right? Yes. And so the words and the symbols and the communication, all of that stuff, while it can be extremely meaningful, mm-hmm. It is arbitrary, which is yep. to mean that it is not a universal law of nature yeah. that those symbols and words mean anything. Yeah. Now, they might have a lot of similarities across cultures mm-hmm. because of our evolutionary history and, and our cultural circumstances. Yeah. But that does not mean that if you were to go find some alien species, that any single sound we make would correspond to anything in their reality or any yeah. communication we have would have any correspondence to their reality. Yeah, it's a great way to paint it. Yeah. Or that they'd have the same set of ethics as us. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and again, if they have some kind of communication or symbolic language, mm-hmm. it's still going to be arbitrary, at least in a similar way, but it might be completely different, right? We just have no idea what that could yeah. look like. Okay. The third thing about language and understanding this is that because language is a totally intangible thing and is arbitrary, and I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact that you can have written language, but again, that's symbolic communication. It is controlled by the context of, the, of that language, which is to say, again, this is cultural. Language exists inside of a culture in a particular context. So the meaning of those symbols and that communication is relevant to the culture at the time and the uh, evolutionary history that led to it. Mm -hmm. So that the meaning is situated inside of that 
particular circumstance and it, it will probably evolve and change some more. Yep. Okay. Yep. So even when we call something bad, the word bad can change. Yeah. The word worst, the meaning of that can change. So even those types of criterion, they're fluid and they're flexible and they're dynamic. And then the fourth and maybe, uh, and maybe most important, but maybe not, I'll let you judge for yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that this is a values based thing. And again, values are intangible. Yeah. You can't have hold them. Good example would be health. Yeah. Right? I cannot have and hold health and say, this is it. I've got a doc. Right. <laughs> I've, I've finally found it. I'm yeah. healthy. But yeah, you, uh, can, you can behave in ways that are healthy and you can right. attain goals such as uh, hiking or running certain distances or hitting certain uh, healthy related milestones like that. Right. Yes. But that you're still not holding it. It's not a thing. Yeah. So values, again, this is verbally based. If values are something like health, you can do things that exist in your verbal repertoire that mean healthy living, right? Mm -hmm. So if you value health, then eating a ton of candy is not something it, like that would be judged as being in against that value, right? Yeah. And so that criteria that you applied of this is a bad thing that I'm doing exists because you have a value of health. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that value, then eating a ton of candy might be like, this is, this is not in conflict with any of my this values. Is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> right. And so, um, because of that, this is going back to this idea again, that this is something that evolves as yep. you learn and you change and you develop as you contact new experiences and you have new language about the things that you experience in life, your values and your criterion of those values is going to shift. It's going to evolve and it's going to change. And it also does so again inside of that culture and the culture shifts and evolves and changes. So those are four important variables about understanding if ethics are a language-based phenomenon, then we have to understand that that is something that comes along with something that is language-based, right? Yep. Dig. All right. Perfect. So that brings up the point that nothing is inherently good or bad if it is language-based. Ooh, kind right. of a tricky one to, to, to kind of hits you. It does. And right? again, this is in contrast with the position that I am taking right up front that it is useful to consider some things as being at least on the spectrum, the side of the spectrum that is inherently bad and on side of the spectrum that is inherently good. And I, and I think that that is still the case. But just to give an example, if I ask you, is a chair good? Uh, usually, <laughs> but... Not if I'm getting hit over the head with it. Yeah. <laughs> and also considering like what, what the materials that took to make that chair, is that something that was harmful for the environment? Do I even care? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, is a tree good? Is a rock good? These are things that they don't have necessarily inherent good or bad value wrapped around them. Yep. Okay. However, your values, the way you talk about them, right? Right. Exactly. So you can start to overlay those values on top of even these these inanimate objects and mm -hmm. start to apply a goodness, badness criterion to them. Again, because it's arbitrary and it's based inside of that language. Yep. Now, another one to consider is that a lot of times this exists inside of, when I say culture, I also mean very specifically a political climate. Yes. Right? Yeah, it could be a political climate. It could be a subculture, right? Yeah, it absolutely. Could be, That's a really good one. Yeah. So it, it is something that um, I like. I like to think of like high school could have a particular culture, right? A specific yeah. high school. Oh, totally. Uh, a specific high school could have a bunch of little cliques and subcultures in and of itself, right? Yeah. Um, and then that scales all the way up into like what we typically think about it when it comes to culture of these, you know, the American lifestyle maybe yeah. as, a, as a good example of like just 
um, that no one seems to really fit within that, but we all seem to fit within that. Right. Right. What's the most sort of general description you can, uh, you can give that applies to the overwhelming majority of people inside of a, a given in group yeah. that yeah. interacts. Now you used to be able to, uh, bind that by geography, but I think with the internet, I think cultures can exist across geographical locations now. Yeah, that's kind of the the interwebs kind of destroyed that. Yeah, because I think yeah. you can even describe like the Reddit community as oh, having yeah. its own culture that exists oh, yeah. there and subcultures inside of that. I just downloaded that app today. Yeah. So if I uh, disappear from the podcast in the next few months, oh, you no. guys, you guys know why. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it All is, right, is a slippery slope that community. I yeah. love it. Yeah. But I've never had the app downloaded for that very reason. It's such a strong and powerful community. So um, inside of this, what often happens is that, that the political landscape inside of a culture, the values and social norms will govern the types of rules that are adopted inside of ethical guidelines that become things like laws mm-hmm. or, or just things that are how do we evaluate uh, something as being in line with or in violation of a law. Okay. And so one of the questions I think is always worth asking is, like why even have a conversation about ethics? And there are a couple of assumptions that are built into whether or not we even have this con- this conversation. In having a conversation about ethics, there is an inherent assumption about whether or not there is such a thing as free will. And we have an upcoming discussion. Yep, teaser just alert. on that. Yeah, yeah about free will. <laughs> teaser, teaser, teaser. Right. <laughs> but essentially the implication is something like this. If people are just going to do whatever they're going to do because they have quote unquote free will, then there is no point in talking about ethics because presumably talking about ethics means that we assume that we can judge, prosecute and change behavior if, if we have an ethical guideline, right? Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, if we're in a, if there's no point in, uh, in if behavior doesn't change, if there's, if, if behavior can just sort of happen in any way and it's not relevant to the circumstances of the environment, then there's no point in talking about ethics because people are just going to do it. And whatever they do in a sense, they're perfectly justified in doing because they just, they just do those things. <laughs> right. And in yeah. another sense, it's like, they're just bad people. And so like, we just treat them that way because there is, there, we don't need to talk about ethics in that situation and no conversation about ethics is going to change people's freedom to um, violate those ethics. Yeah. Or alternatively, if we believe that human behavior can be altered by circumstances, then there is a point in having a conversation about ethics because we can help inform of situations that are not black and white. We can help it develop a kind of criteria in which the vast majority of us agree is the best way to try and guide our behavior so that we are living in a way that is in line with the values of the majority of the people inside of that culture. Right? Yeah. So yeah, the, the point I'm making here is like we only there's no point in talking about ethics unless we agree first that there is a need for this because there's something that is happening and second that there that things can change as an as a result of having a conversation about ethics and understanding what we mean by right and wrong and that sort of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another question I always have when talking about ethics is what about law? Like why not just have laws about all of these things? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, every law has just been perfectly black and white, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think there are a few reasons that that wouldn't work, but um, what's also important is then understanding, well, what's the purpose of having a law? And if you just look this up, I actually found this is pretty useful. The four principal purposes of law, like why do we even have law is that it should one establish standards. I like, two, I like the second one, maintaining order, maintaining order. It definitely seems that that's why they're there. Right. Yeah. Three resolving disputes and then four protecting liberties and rights. That's kind of more 
That, I dig that one. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so that's, you can see that like that actually doesn't cover a whole lot of nuanced examples about things like if you were to steal to feed your family. There's no isms in there. And yeah. That sort of stuff either. <laughs> yeah. So the purposes of law are not actually necessarily to impose specifically how you make decisions in um, ambiguous situations. Yeah. The purpose of law is to set a, a guidepost for the most minimal acceptable behavior standard in a society. Yeah. They are the bare minimum line, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is the bare minimum expectations. Yeah. So we sort of globally agree that at least want to draw a hard line on these general categories of things. Or at least 51 or 50% of people agree, right? Yeah. yeah something <laughs> like that. Thing on your system. Right. So, yeah, the purpose of, of having a discussion about ethics then is also preceded by the fact that we are assuming that law is not the only way to address um, situations of identifying right and wrong. That law helps, the law does have a purpose, but that purpose is not actually to establish morals. Although I think it's important to understand that the law does exist inside of moral standards, right? Mm -hmm. um, that these things are guided by what is considered right and wrong. And uh, how do we choose when someone has done something in a situation, who was the person who was in the right and who was the person who was in the wrong? Yeah. And those are, those are moral questions. And so I think that ethics is a good way of guiding law. Um, and that is maybe more foundational and that law is a general application of a discussion from ethics. And then there's this idea of when you get into the the morality, like you're kind of talking about there, there's this idea that I'll, I'll have you hop over to that crash course video that we talked about of moral luck. There's one on that. So if you want some like additional things to kind of keep your, keep your wheels turning, go check those out. We say a little, a little bit more about that. What, what is moral luck? So essentially, they use an example of two different drivers. Both are intoxicated past the amount that they should be um, to be legally driving. They both leave. Uh, they're going down the same route, right? And the only main difference is, is someone else left uh, a few minutes earlier than the other person. So there's scenario A and B. A is a little bit ahead of B. A drives, no issues, goes home. However, um, B, uh, they paint obviously cherry pick and use the worst scenario possible you can kind of think of yeah um, of a child walks across and since their their reaction time is impaired they uh, kill the child mm -hmm. in an accident um, but they walk out the different um, at the end of the day a couple of different perspectives as to who's right or wrong and they they tease this line of at the end of the day like if you're saying it's kind of like how you're talking about free will mm -hmm. like if we don't have this free will can you really point the blame at both was it just this uh, A was luckier that that person wasn't there given the situation as opposed to B? Does that right. make sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole, I guess, if, if I'm understanding what you're saying, then it's like you might have done something wrong and gotten lucky. Yep. And then that the outcome was either neutral or maybe even really positive. Yeah. And so. And nobody maybe even knows. Yeah. That you were even behaving immorally. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quote, exactly. Unquote. Yeah. yeah. So like it might be, what if you, um, you set out to harm somebody, but you ended up saving their life sort yes. of thing. Like, no, that's a perfect one. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know if it's that same video. I watched a lot of videos this morning. <laughs> this is just like the, the crash course. Like I'm gonna push you guys there. Yeah. <laughs> um, episode, but they were talking about, uh, a burglar, you know, uh, knows that someone's typically leaving their house at a certain time. So they go up, it's that time they break the window. Um, 
and they see that someone's passed out on the floor and they're like, oh, I need to get out of here. Yeah. But what it was is there's carbon, carbon monoxide that was sitting in the house and right. they had passed out. And so by breaking the window, all the oxygen comes in, carbon monoxide leaves and they really just saved their life. Yeah. Like was that, or were they, should they be held up as a hero in that circumstance? Right. Right? Yeah. Because their intention was totally different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they technically did something wrong, but the outcome was that someone's life was saved. Yeah. And I think what's great about the car crash example is you technically did something wrong, but the outcome was that nothing bad happened or the outcome was that something bad did happen. So mm-hmm. if you look at what my another one I think that's really tricky is that what if you do something right, but on accident, something terrible happens? Mm-hmm. Like what if you're doing the absolute right thing as far as you know, and for all available reasons, C- that seems CPR like CPR maybe or something like that. Yeah, or some sort of medical procedure. Yeah, right? what? If, yeah, what if you go in and attempt? And I think this actually happens quite a bit. In uh, in like let's say a medical procedure, and you are doing as far as you can tell the best thing that you can be doing for that person, but because you are lacking important information, you end up critically harming them. Mm-hmm. That uh, in that case because you had good intention is what you did unethical because you were operating off of the best available information yeah. was what you were doing unethical if it resulted in harm. The, again, this is one of the situations where I think approaching this as if we understand verbally that um, the criterion against which we, do, we judge this is arbitrary, then we do have to take all of those factors into consideration, not just the act, not just the outcome and figure how do we uh, evaluate these types of behaviors? How do we even evaluate the evaluation of those types of behaviors? Okay. Well, I think I wanted to kind of come back to this idea of values really quick. And I think there's just, there's a really cool exercise in determining sort of what your values are and using that. Um, a lot of times people will say things like values that aren't really values. They're more like goals or the things that they like. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I liked it, this exercise of think about something that you really love whatever it is, some activity or some object or something, and ask yourself, why? Why do you love that? My camera. You love your camera. I love my camera right now. So uh, so think to yourself, why? And then when you have an answer, ask yourself why that was your answer. And just keep going until you land on something that you can't seem to get past. And oftentimes inside of there, you'll find a value. And the same thing is also works for what is something that you hate? What is something that makes you really angry? And then think again. I'm not going to answer that one right now. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Um, You think why? And why does that make me angry? And they say, well, because of this. Well, It's not our listeners and it's not you. Right. What's, what's that, that? I, that I hate right now. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> I just want to clarify that. Oh, okay, great. Um, <laughs> I was like, whoa, that could be really bad. Oh, yeah. No, I got you. I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so getting at the, the answer, when you have an answer to the question of why something makes you angry, then then ask why again. Why is that the reason? And just keep going again until you sort of land on something where you can't seem to get past it. And inside of that, you'll usually find a value of some kind. And because that uh, there's something that's really important to you fundamentally, and that when that thing gets violated, maybe several steps away from that value, that can be something that that you have an emotional reaction to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a really cool exercise and I think it might be worth visiting in a future discussion yeah. at some point. Um, but values in general. Yeah. Just uh, you as, as a listener, like try that out. Like it's my, my assignment to you that I have no way of moderating, but just for fun, like uh, try asking yourself the question, go back and see if you can find one. And I really like, I got some really cool examples from this. And in, in my class, uh, when I was teaching, some people said things like equity and relationships. And like, it showed me that they were really getting this idea of like yep. value. You can't accomplish relationships. Like that's not a box you can check off, but mm-hmm. you can do things that are in the pursuit of relationships that are of value to you. Right. And so um, I really like that. Um, that, that seems to be an effective way of sort of getting at this. Yeah, I dig that a lot. So what I'd like to kind of 
end on here is I want to come go through some of the sort of historical events that have taken place in the last century that have really led to the development of things like ethical guidelines and the discussion about ethics where more black and white, uh, I want to say concrete, but I guess descriptions of what is considered unethical versus ethical, um, where, how those have been shaped. Okay. And yeah. And there, there are so many. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, so I wrote down we're, we're one, gonna, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine examples on here. I left off about 150. Yeah, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna maybe even narrow down these these nine or so. Okay. Yeah. The first one that I was really oriented to myself, not that I was like in depth, I guess. Um, and we'll see how much I remember. Haha. <laughs> Past episode, if you haven't listened to it already, is the Sunland Miami happenings i guess yeah as sort of referred to as a scandal um so this was in about uh, 1972 um was when this really came to light it actually started uh, i believe the center opened in 1965 do you remember like a lot of the details about i just this? remember corporal punishment essentially going on in the form of someone being placed into a shack right uh yeah there's yeah. quite a bit more than that yeah i mean there was I like mean, very clear human rights violations oh yeah you yeah, know yeah, for sure i just i I guess I start at that point and it just makes me cringe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't remember how it transgressed into that though. Okay. Um, so what had happened was understand what's important to understand about this. If you choose to look up this event is that a period of time, there was a, uh, there were people who were doing what they called behavior modification or behavior mod. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time there was essentially no, real credential for having calling yourself an expert in that. Oh yeah. No, not at all. And what could happen was you could attend a like day long workshop and you didn't, didn't even have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could like pay for this. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So you, what would you'd come up to these things and they basically say, here's how you change behavior. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, you want to positively reinforce with edibles, things that you do want yeah. and you want to punish the inappropriate behaviors that you don't want. Mm-hmm. And that was about as complicated as the discussion got. Yeah. And you get your certificate of attendance and then you'd say, I'm an expert in this. And then you could start doing treatment. Mm hmm. That's unfortunate. And uh, the same thing would be true if, let's say, uh, in pharmaceuticals, they're like, here's how you mix chemicals that will affect people's brains. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that, you know, that that would be like the outcome of this. And so one of the problems is that this really looked um, really terrible for people who were in behavioral psychology because a lot of the trained professionals who knew what they were doing, who were well-versed in the research and had really humanistic, I think, goals in mind yeah. would – like this made them look really bad when people who were not experts, who did not care, who did not know, who were like, how can I make a quick buck? Yep. Or how can I, even if their intentions were like, yeah, I yeah. want to help these people that say. didn't understand the philosophy, yeah. you know, would go out and they would just try and like, well, we're just going to do this thing. So that's what sort of led up to this is there weren't, there was no credentialing process. And that's, and, yeah, I was going to say, that's why there's credentialing processes yes. and there's licensed uh, ex, like, you exactly. know, licensed uh, clinical social workers, right. licensed clinical psychologists, licensed behavior analysts. Like there's all of that infrastructure now because of situations like this yes yeah um, and, and at the end of the day it's to protect the consumer first yes yes yeah so the what what ended up happening at this particular institute is someone who was not an expert but who claimed that they were who uh, came in and developed this um, this treatment center for people who had intellectual and developmental disabilities or some other problematic behavior that they wanted to change and these people could be brought to this place for and um, they the staff training was like <laughs> 
this is how you this is how you change behavior and like be creative yeah so like think of things to do um when you use punishment the punishment should be rele- uh, relevant to the crime and like don't make threats if you're going to threaten something you have to follow through so that your language matches and so what ended up happening and also here's like here's a bag of m&ms just put them in your pocket and go around giving them yeah. to people that are doing yeah. good things okay what happened as this uh, what you can imagine as this sort of escalated was that there became serious mistreatment of these people there are people that if they uh if they urinated in their clothes for example mm-hmm. they had some kind of incontinence that yeah. happened that as a punishment for that the idea was they did something we need to stop Mm-hmm. So rather than understand why did they do that yeah. or like, do they have the skills to make the appropriate alternative alternative behavior? Is there a medical situations going on? Right. Yeah. Is there a medical like, problem? Yeah. The, the reaction was punish it. That's not how behavior analysts operate, by the way, or behavior psychologists. This is how untrained people who don't know what they're doing operate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in this situation. Um, so their, their reaction was punish it. And so they, one example was they would force them to smell their clothing that had been urinated on or to sit in a puddle of their own yeah. matter you know, yeah. that had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were so many atrocities. Like I don't even want to describe how many of them, but they were oftentimes straight up torture. Yep. Um, and, and it was completely inhumane treatment of many of the people who were here. The fallout of that was that they developed a credentialing process that it was a regulated pro, uh, a regulated board of people would oversee the the minimum qualifications. Yes, the right? minim, yeah, the minimum qualifications for, for professionals, this, as well as a way for um, checking in on centers that they were doing appropriate things. Yeah, right? yep. So that this just could never happen again. Yes, and with all that kind of underlying protecting the consumer of these sort of services. Yeah, the whole point being that um, the the people who were harmed in this. Like that should have never happened to them. And we want to make sure that never happens to anyone in their situation again. Ever again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and to their credit, that seems to have largely been successful in, in establishing those guidelines and that, that credentialing has really significantly reduced the extent to which people are mistreated. Yeah. At least in as far as, uh, as this in field large, goes. In large, yes. Um, there are still other fields and other examples where this, um, they don't, the atrocities can still happen, but... I mean, do you have any of these you want to hit? Yeah, I mean, the Tuskegee is uh, is a big one. Okay. So the syphilis, syphilis study that was actually sponsored by the U.S. Department of Health. Yikes. Yeah. They were essentially studying the untreated effects uh, or the effects of untreated syphilis. Um, there was yeah. 400 African-American men. Yeah, only African-American men, by yes, the way. Yes, yes. And it was specifically, uh, treatment was specifically withheld even when penicillin became widely available. So they knew that they could do something about it, but the they time, didn't yeah. so that they could look at the effects over time. What was the time frame that this was over? So, I um, mean, this went on for 40 years, yes. starting in the 30s all the way until the 70s. And it, it like, gets, crazy. yeah, and it gets worse. They, they didn't tell the subjects that they were in an experiment. Yep. They thought um, that they were getting legitimate treatment. Yeah, and it was for something totally else, uh, which was, what, uh, bad blood? Yeah, they yeah. were told that they had bad blood and they were... So, yeah, this this was... And I mean, syphilis is pretty nasty. Did these people get locked up forever that like ran this? I actually don't know. Um, but I mean, this was widely cited as one of the turning points where it's like, this is, this is just never some of the okay. things that like, I, 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 sometimes when I'm recording this, side note, but like side rant, sometimes when I'm like doing my notes on the podcast, like I run into things and it's just like, yeah, that ruined my day. Yeah. I'm done. Right. Like I'm done for the day. I'll come back at this. You all know what's so sad I'm about go this home is go to bed. like, these are people who are supposed to be scientists. 
And like this is the kind of thing where people point to science and say, look at their, their uncaring evil people. Yeah. And they have these hard examples to back that up. And I'm like, uh, some of them are. Some of yeah. them have been, but like that's not really what science is not an entity that's responsible for those people's behavior. And I just I want to defend it and also say like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, happened. I feel it. If anyone's uh, feeling like getting more of a historical, more in depth perspective too, there's a book called uh, Nazi Doctors. Wow. I think that says enough about it. Yeah. But what's crazy is how much was learned because of these bad practices too, um, yeah. or these bad experiments. So, okay, so Tuskegee. I don't know. Was there other stuff there besides? Um, well, I was going to move on to it. So a lot of these are like around things specifically inside of research and sort of psychology research. Um, there's another one that was research that was not psychology, but, um, this is on a totally different end where this is not necessarily abusing someone physically, right. Or, you know, infecting them with something. But in 1953, James Watson and Francis Crick are credited with the discovery of the structure of DNA and it, and they got the Nobel prize in 1962. So nine, nine years later, what's important about this is that they had obtained, uh, x-ray data from Rosalind Franklin, the female researcher who had actually discovered this. They got it without her, her permission and they stole the credit for it. And, uh, she was not given the Nobel prize and was not acknowledged, um, as having contributed to this. And she died of ovarian cancer and uh, the prize was awarded to her pos posthumously but the history textbooks often say Francis and Crick yeah um, or uh, uh, Watson and Crick I mean as the the people who sorry Francis <laughs> Francis Crick yeah as the people who were the discoverers of this when they weren't like they actually stole credit for this so this is a, a research practice of of I guess obtaining someone else's information and portraying it as your own, right? And that is also falls in line with an ethical discussion. That's not necessarily people's uh, yeah, and kind of lean on the line. Yeah, and related to that, the radiation you have here, the 1940s through 80s, U.S. government sponsored secret research on the effects of radiation on human beings. So I know that this was across different states. I don't have all the details, but I have seen uh, pictures of folks. I grew up right outside of a lot of the Nevada test sites. Yeah. And rural, rural Nevada. Yes. And I have seen, uh, family pictures. This is, it was like a family picture of a, pol like a Polaroid, right? That was, it wasn't, I don't think it was, this was before Polaroids, I think. Um, anyhow, of, uh, people in hazmat, like white suits with the little Geiger counters. Yeah. Uh, while the children's playing in the dirt out front, oh God. uh, measuring. Yes. Ouch. Um, That's rough. Entire families have been like wiped out at very young ages of uh, the ranchers out in those communities. Um, all sorts of, they're not publicly out there over the place, but we had ads running um, at late night saying like, hey, you might be <laughs> able to collect all of this money because of these things that happened uh -huh. um, in your areas. And it was just, it was nuts to kind of see those sort of things. What a horrible environment to live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I, I had one more uh, to sort of hit on in terms of the, the ethics and research sort of thing before we um, we, we had our, our take homes. But a, fun, a, real, a side note, real quick, we might have to drop this in. Side note: um, the the thought was, if it's so bad above ground, let's put the bombs below ground. Yeah. So um, for any reason we ever do like a why we do what we do field trip. Okay. Um, we can go out and check this out. Um, <laughs> so like what, what they did is they, they drilled down and blew one up underground. Okay. And what it did is it dropped the entire valley floor out there by about six feet. Oh man. So I just always imagined these, these ranchers that just had that happen to them over those years, just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're, you imagine just falling six feet. Yikes. Like there's a line, there's a crack, like yeah. it is there. They built a fake little, uh, uh, set of structures and stuff. Um, I'll have to link to it in the show notes. It's publicly out there. It's just not perpetuated everywhere, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, uh, 
there's some crazy stuff if you want to go digging, I guess is the point of that. So the last one I wanted to talk about um, before we uh, get to our take-home points is that um, in the 1990s, there was an experiment that was published where uh, Andrew Wakefield published in The Lancet um, claiming that... Uh, and colleagues. Yeah, and colleagues, yeah. The only one. <laughs> yeah, no, Andrew... <laughs> Although he has continued to be vocal about his yeah. that everything he did was right, published a paper where he reported results that indicated that autism was called caused by or there was a, a link between autism and vac the MMR vaccine specifically and specifically the uh, the mercury that was in the MMR vaccine that that was his argument okay and it was discovered that he had faked his data and that um, there was fraudulent misinformation in the paper. And so in 2010, the paper was uh, actually retracted from The Lancet as um, not being an article. Um, but the outcome of this was huge. Like there are still, and maybe some of you listening to this are, um, or you know someone who, who has this opinion, people who believe that vaccines are unsafe and that they can cause autism. And we do have an upcoming topic, a discussion about the vaccine autism link. So we can really do a deep dive on the history around what happened. Um, but this has led to things like uh, a measles outbreak that took place not too long ago um, in the United States um, that started at, I believe, Disneyland and spread to about six other states, something like that. Uh, measles, that is something that is has no cure and is extremely contagious. Yeah. And we had a vaccine for. <laughs> and so yeah. um, that's uh, almost the, eradicated. Uh, yeah, almost right. Yeah. Um, there. Yeah. This is one of those things where there was an effective preventative measure that existed. And as a result of this paper, there was a lot of anti-vaccination movement that has happened um, in the in the world and especially in the country. But I mean, that's, that's one of those ethical things where this was fraudulent reporting. Um, but the fallout was absolutely huge and how far reaching it was and the implications of it. So the last thing I like to think of when I'm simply talking about understanding what what is ethics and how do we have a conversation about ethics? What is morality? And we've sort of taken the position in here that this is not black and white. Mm -hmm. This is really complicated and that a lot of people approach this in different ways, whether this is like, you know, there, uh, every culture has their own set of morals and we can't judge that. And I guess one implication of that is that that culture, then really there's no reason to ever change because they're always right. And whatever yeah. they do, um, and they can't be evaluated. That's not necessarily the position that we're taking, but that it is really complicated and it's a language based phenomenon and yeah. understanding that language is arbitrary. We can sort of say, um, that, the, then the values that are applied to that criterion are also arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, in my opinion, I never really said this exactly, but I think that the, the most basic tenet of do no harm, like causing harm, we can generally put on the side of things that are like, this is almost always bad. Yeah. And that when you are doing things for the benefit of, of people, um, when you're doing things that are helpful and do not cause harm, that that always is going to fall almost always on the side of things that are good. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's useful to categorize it that way and just understand that there's a lot of ambiguity in there mm -hmm. and a lot of contextual features that it's not going to always be so easy as, so what something somebody did was completely unethical. There, there will be situations of that. Yeah. But a lot of times it's understanding the nuances of the situation to try and make an evaluation about, is this, like, how do we proceed? You know, how mm -hmm. do we treat this situation? So the question I like to ask is simply like, what kind of world do you want to live in? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, and, and thinking about this in terms of like, how, how am I going to behave inside of this world? And what would I, if everyone behaved like me, is that the kind of world I'd want to live in? Right. Mm -hmm. I've asked this question, this is kind of a bigger question, but I have, I've asked this question before to people that not what kind of world do you want to live in, but specifically like, what's it like to be you? 
And, uh, and just, it, this goes back to this whole idea of perspective taking of, uh, it, it occurred to me, uh, one time, um, out of, a, out of a book I was reading that, um, some, somebody had done this and it never really occurred to me, but, uh, that like, I've never really asked someone, what is it like to be you and, and have them really explain themselves. Right. And just out of curiosity, I've tried this test with several people and what's really interesting at least to me, maybe interesting, I don't know, it's really sad, is that I've asked this to um, people including, so I identify as uh, as male, um, assigned to that gender at birth. Yeah. Um, and I've asked this to people who identify as female who are assigned that gender at birth and, and said like, you know, what's it like to be you? And although I've gotten obviously very different answers yeah, yeah. across people, what I've gotten from every single female that I've asked was that they're afraid, they're, they're scared. At least, like that's just a lingering overall experience in their life. Yeah, and it's one of the most depressing answers I could have ever heard because, like, I feel like I don't want to live in a world where you are frightened just to be you. Yeah, and it's possible that like other minor like races in the United States that would fall into the group of minorities would also have a similar experience. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's parts of the country where you live in where like that's just generally your experience. It's not necessarily your gender or your race, but because you live in a violent area, that's your yeah, experience. yeah. I don't want to live in a world where you're, you're afraid. You're experiencing that yeah. repeatedly. Yeah. Your life is just fear. Daily. Like, yeah. yeah. That that sucks. And so like the things that guide uh, my behavior is like, I'm going to do my best to try and create a context in my behavior where I don't make people feel afraid mm -hmm. that they are just who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, uh, that's sort of my approach to under to, to this. And, and again, that's that, what kind of world do you want to live in? I like that. Thanks. Yeah, it's good. All right. So, so some take homes. Yeah. So I think we've hit this point pretty hard, but just to make sure that one take home point is that ethics is a language phenomenon. It's yep. a, it's a human phenomenon and it is rooted in our language. Yeah. And it is ever evolving. There's definitely this cultural aspect, right? Yeah. Even though it's all arbitrary. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Anything you want to add on the arbitrary? Um, you know, not, not really. I think it's wrapped up in the, the conversation we had about language. And there's this difference between ethics and laws, right? Yeah, I think ethics would inform laws. Yes. Yeah. Laws being this this minimum guideline of what's acceptable. Right. And that uh, a significant portion, if not all, of these ethical guidelines or ethical codes, they have been developed out of some of the terrible things that have happened, even when or if some of those were with good intentions. Mm -hmm. as, the, as the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess then we can end it on your question again. What kind of world do you want to live in? Yeah. Maybe that's uh, the call to action. Let yeah. us know in the, the comments or the review that maybe you're leaving and such below. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's possible there are people who want to live in like a world of chaos and, and harm to everybody. But mm -hmm. I think in general, just that being a question in terms of, um, of identifying values and that sort of thing. Yeah. All right, cool. That's all I got, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let us know your thoughts, please. Hopefully this is what you're looking for, Shane, when you asked us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or at least it's a good starting point, even though we want to jump into more. So Yeah, there's a lot more to cover in terms of ethics and specific ethical codes and um, and things like uh, medicine and ethics. That like yeah. uh, Animal research ethics, there's so many things. There's one big riff I want to go on, but it's not. It didn't fit in here. So yeah. we'll definitely be slating an ethics part two. Yeah, there'll be there'll be more. This was our introduction to ethics, like yes. meta-ethics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Great. So this is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account 
at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. <laughs>